0: Well, thank you all so much for coming this evening. Great crowd. Thank you so much. Father Gutierrez, you're almost at your (laughs) 100. Almost there. Almost there. All right, let's start with a prayer from Fratelli Tutti itself. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. (laughs) O God, Trinity of love, from the profound communion of your divine life, pour out upon us a torrent of fraternal love, Grant us the love reflecting the actions of Jesus and his family of Nazareth and in the early Christian community. Grant that we Christians may live the gospel, discovering Christ in each human being, recognizing him crucified in the sufferings of, of the abandoned and forgotten of our world, and risen in each brother or sister who makes a new start. Come Holy Spirit, show us your beauty reflected in all the peoples of the earth so that we may discover anew that all are important and all are necessary, different faces of the one humanity that God so loves. Amen. Great. So tonight, as you all saw in the inserts, we're talking about Pope Francis's latest encyclical, Fratelli Tutti. Uh, so he, re- he wrote this encyclical, or released it, at the end of 2020. So end of pandemic year, all of those things. But before we even get into that, what's an encyclical? Right? There's papal bulls, there's encyclicals, there's Angelus Addresses. So what is this encyclical we're talking about? So what an encyclical is, it's a letter from the Bishop of Rome, so the pontiff himself, to his brother bishops. So this is addressed to the bishops, but just because it's addressed to the bishops, it's written for the whole universal church in mind, similar to a state of a union. You know, the president addresses Congress, but the entire, we can all tune in on television. So it's the same principle about a specific issue that the Pope sees the, at that certain time and place to be having impact on the church and the world. So what Pope Francis hoped for in writing this particular encyclical was to speak about human fraternity and human unity in a time of disunity. So he started this encyclical before COVID. His intent was really to write it in light of increase in nationalism, especially in Western Europe. But then as 2020 hit, oddly enough, this encyclical became more pertinent to the church. Um, So it really makes sense that on the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi, our patron here in 2020, he released this encyclical on human fraternity. And the little history of encyclicals is that in the church, we have dogma, we have morality of all those things, important good things. We also have Catholic social teaching. So what that is really is the social teaching of the church on things like economics, um, political theory, basically how society should be in light of our Christian values. So this, and we've kind of been in a modern era, we'll call it, of Catholic social teaching since the mid-19th century, right before the first Vatican Council with the release of an encyclical called called Rerum Novarum. So that was written to talk about industrialization for the first time. And ever since then, we've been in, we're still in that same era of Catholic social teaching. So this is an expansion of that Um, because, you know, it seems like 1852 is a long time ago, but in the life of the church, that's just kind of a blink of an eye, so that's why we're still in this same era of Catholic social teaching. Not that encyclicals are the only place where the church, the popes, discuss Catholic social teaching, but it's sort of the privileged place where different popes have left their mark over the centuries. So now into our actual document. Now we've kind of gotten the framework. Uh, So in encyclicals they're written in paragraphs. So it's paragraph one is a certain idea, paragraph 75 is the other idea. So throughout this when I say in paragraph 12 for example, that's why I say that because it's written in chapters but the paragraphs are the typical references when you're reading an encyclical or most papal documents like that. So he starts with the term Pope Francis does globalism and what that means for us and he kind of says that what globalism has become, it was not is not its purest intent. Is that globalism has been kind of co-opted in a sense only to talk about economic and political structures. So you know, think WHO, think the World Bank. So what globalism has done in his words is not make us brothers and sisters, but make us more so neighbors or trading partners. So because, you know, the Pope, he wants human fraternity for all, one one church, one human family, is that you would think that, you know, globalism is a good for him, but which he does think it is. But unfortunately, Pope Francis says is that globalism has become not about people, but about systems and money. So that's kind of the first critique of the global system that he has. And I know many of us probably don't work for, you know, WHO or the IMF or anything like that. So it's like, you know, Pope Francis, what can we do ourselves here in New Britain to make this globalism more applicable to us? So I think the best thing we can do is pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe more intentionally. So anytime you have the news on, you know, people often get worked up about the news or the negative. Instead of saying, oh, that's terrible, this, which it may be, we'll offer a quick prayer for them right? Because we can't change, you know, trade agreements or immigration policy ourselves from here. What we can do is pray for globalism to become about our brothers and sisters, not about our arrangements, so to speak. And then, right after that, Pope Francis goes into a theme of his papacy so far, which is the throwaway culture. He sees individualism as being kind of apart from reality. And that's because of consumption. So, you know, freedom is a good thing. Our church wants us to be free. We're made in the image of likeness of God. But oftentimes what freedom becomes is not what we ought to do, but what we want to do. Or not what we should, you know, buy, consume, eat, any of those things. uh, But how much can we do it? So he sees a lot of these global issues really come down to individual decisions that we all make, being about consumption, how much can I take in, how, what can I gain from it, not what's my proper place in this arrangement, and then how can I do it for the whole family. So that's kind of his base. If he has to pick one thing where the, all these different issues in this encyclical come about, it's a misunderstanding of what we are as individuals and how, as individuals, we should relate to society at large. And then in paragraph 17, I think that he basically encapsulates his entire papacy, or his papal message so far. He has this quote. We need to think of ourselves more and more as a human family dwelling in a common home. So I think this really, the common home, one family has been, since you know he was elected in 2013, has been his go-to papal theme. Because every papacy, every presidency has certain themes they hit on, certain ideas they want to get through. So I think that quote really encapsulates it. And what this quote really is, it's twofold. It's not just we should all love each other and do our best for each other, which is true. It's not, not true, of course. But it's really a call back to our baptism. Because our baptism is not just a sacrament that cleanses us from our sin it primarily is that, you know, cleansing of original sin, but our baptism also has a social aspect to it. So when we're baptized, it's not just for ourselves, is that we're also entering in to the universal church, both here on earth and in heaven. So when we think of what does it mean to, you know, be accepting or you know, be open things like that, is recall your baptism and what that means is that we are entering in to the family of God. Not just, you know, be nice. It's really, it's sacramental, this unity that he speaks about. And also, this common home, one family, we have to remember his last encyclical, Laudato Si, which was about, you know, environmental care and our duty as Christians, as environmental stewards. So he's continuing that theme in this encyclical about taking care of our common home, taking care of the environment, using our resources that God has given us in a way that is fitting in a way that is proper to us as human beings. And then the great thing about Pope Francis, I think, is that the way he writes and talks sometimes, it kind of bites. And it's a little off the cuff, but it bites. So right after he, this great quote, we're talking about you know unity and family and consumption, he just goes very specific. He says, wasting food is deplorable in the extreme. So he gets to more kind of, Very detail oriented. I I've read this after I had been to a banquet, right? And everybody at the everybody at the banquet, it was a standard food. Everybody got a steak. That was the meal. It was about. And I was reading this, and at my table, they were very large, and no one could finish the steak. And that kind of is almost. I realized that that type of mentality or waste is so ingrained in us as. In the West, it's just we're used to seeing food go down into the trash. Um, so at the end, we'll have a little q And if any of you have ever had any experience or suggestions about how you in your own lives have limited the consumption, I'd love to hear it because it's an issue and I have no solutions. And the Pope diagnosed it as a thing. So if you've done the little things in your own life, I'd love to, I'm sure we all love to hear those things as well. Um, and funny enough actually, right last week he addressed, Pope Francis did, a group of European youth and he decried kind of reckless meat consumption. So he kind of keeps building and building on these themes even outside of his official documents. So like I said again, all the papacies have certain themes so he's continuing on our common home throughout his addresses even just to last week. And then we start to get into, I think, something we all saw, especially during the pandemic, is he laments what he calls the discarding of the human family" in a twofold way. He says, it's at the beginning of life and the end of life now, especially the birth rate, especially in Italy. I believe in Italy now, the birth rate is you know, below one child, right? And he, so he decries both the decline in the birth rate. And the flippancy, I think is probably the best adjective to use, towards the elderly and the sick in the time of the pandemic. So he sees these two things, you know, declining birth rate, not seeing having human families as important, as the same kind of line of thought as mistreatment of the elderly towards the end of life, because it shows a lack of care or a lack of understanding of the human person and its relation to each other. 'Cause you know, we're not on an island here. We're here in our church in our world. So from baptism on, we're all, you know, members of the church. So I think it's a good reminder for us that treatment of the young and treatment of all ages needs to be have the image and likeness of God. It's right on their foreheads, right? So birth, death, it's all, you know, a constant mountain through life. But we're all human beings in the same family. So he sees that the same issue, beginning of life, end of life, it's the same kind of throwaway culture, as he so often says. Um, and then in paragraph 33, he diagnosed something in the pandemic that I saw a lot, especially the people my age, is that what the pandemic was for many people was a realization of our mortality, Right. Because it's easy to go through life sometimes thinking, you know, next year, five years, 15 years from now, X, Y, or Z will happen. And unfortunately, I'm sure we many of us saw in the news, you know, depression, drugs, all those bad things seem to skyrocket in tandem with the pandemic, right? In the Pope, I think, diagnosis correctly is that when you don't have a sense of where you're going, who you are, and to whom should we love, when things change, you kind of panic because... It seems like the entire world is rocked but we as people of faith know that you know we're here this is a temporary stay here on earth um, our home is in heaven not on earth and i think many people during the pandemic if you didn't have the hope because we're you know a religion of hope without hope it was an extraordinarily scary time i know i so my undergraduate i ended in the may of 2020 so a lot of people i knew all of a sudden you know graduations all those you know, jobs got cut, things like that. So I think it was extremely hard for people. Again, in di- same issues, just plays out differently in, your, in life. You know, End of life, you're worried more about your actual mor- mortality. You know, how does the pandemic affect me? And I saw a lot of people lose hope in that the things that were promised to them, so to speak, in their post-collegiate years were taken away. Um, so I think that going forward, as coming out of the pandemic now, is instead of going for a new normal, or excuse me, instead of going back to normal, we should go towards the new normal of spiritual discipline and human friendship because whatever reality comes our way in the next five, ten years, if we have a deepened spiritual life and stronger fraternal bonds with our brothers and sisters, then if something you know, world-changing literally happens again, I think we'll be more ready to weather the storm. And so the Pope did a really good job of diagnosing an issue that I think if we think back to that year, we saw that play out in different ways with different people in our own lives. And he finished this first um, section of this encyclical talking about a great paradox that we currently have in our world today is that we we don't want real human fraternity oftentimes. Maybe I think we all do, considering we came here together as one church, but many people don't have the desire or are fearful of really entering into deep friendships or even you know, romantic relationships with others. But the, he sees a great paradox here because now with you know, social media and things like that, we have a desire to pry into people's lives more than we maybe even used to, yet we don't want to actually engage with them. So he notices this paradox that's kind of happened the last probably I would say 10 or so years so we want to know more about other people, but we want to love them less. Whereas he wants that to be flipped. We need to love more, pry less. So he sees that as a paradoxical flip that I think we can all do in very little ways through that. And he then goes on to speak how oftentimes what we consume, news consumption, media consumption, can of can go into this? So I think in short, more scripture... Less news, I think that's a great way for all of us to, you know, just go forward. If news is on and everything's awful, say, you know what? Let's turn to the, the Lord's Word, and I think a scripture-filled church is a good church. So, I think that's a great politi- great switch of attitude that we can all do our little ways to do that. So, then he starts to, he has this great, po- then the Pope Francis has this interesting quote when talking about human migration he says there is no worse form of alienation to feel uprooted notice that word feel because to be uprooted is to you know be moved physically moved from one place to another we see in like Ukraine right now people are being uprooted day by day uh, all around the world in ways we don't even know about here in the States people are being physically uprooted every day but he uses this word feel, which I think is very important because it doesn't take someone to kick you out of your house or, you know, bomb your home or anything like that to make you feel like you're uprooted because alienation can happen anywhere, in any context, at any time. So he's speaking not just about the issue of migration He's speaking about the issue of migration primarily, but secondarily, this uprootedness is something we can all feel And we can have people in our lives feeling this without us even knowing it, right? We probably have people we see every day, our coworkers, who might feel like they've been alienated from their friends, their family, for whatever reason, and we don't even know it. So I think that what we can all do is we can't all go, you know, open homes for the migrants and things. We don't have that ability because we all have our own gifts. We have our own unique situations. We're not all called to do great things, so to speak, but we're all called to do great things with Little things with great love. So I think if we ask the Holy Spirit to say, who in my own life has a sense of feeling uprooted? Who is feeling alienated from their family, their friends, or maybe even something I didn't, I even know about it, is to ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. So that way you can be that friend, that brother, that sister, to that person that you don't even know needs at this point. So I think that's a little thing we can all do in our own lives. And then... I think he hits it home. Uh, when talking about Pope Francis, about us possessing our time, I think of all the things that we possess, money, homes, things like that, at the root of it, we're probably most possessive of our time, right? And Pope John Paul II had this great quote regarding this. A reporter asked him, Holy Father, what do you, you're very busy. You're running on the... Billion Person Church, what do you do in your free time? He said, all my time is free. Right? Because all things come from God and return to God. So we want to, you know, have that tendency, oh, can you help out with this? Can you drop off this at the dry cleaners? There's that kind of feeling that we get, I think sometimes. And he hits that home. And Pope Francis speaks at length and connects it to last weekend's gospel about the Good Samaritan. Because, you know, the, the passer buyers. you know, there's historical reasons why this group wouldn't want to help that group, but I think at the root of it is that when you those passer buyers, even 2,000 years ago in Galilee, it's because they don't want to give up their time, right, to be hospitable, to enter into brotherhood and sisterhood with strangers or even people we know and love in some circumstances. Um, so then Pope Francis gives us a good example of this. Of how this, to change this, about how we can be more giving. He talks about the rule of Saint Benedict, Saint Benedict who we celebrated last week, his feast day. Great contemplative, you know, prayer, silence, work. That was the rule, right? But Pope Francis makes it clear that in his, you know, Saint Benedict, when someone came to the door of the monastery needing help, or even maybe they didn't even need that much help, but they came looking for something is that you are to break your contemplation in your prayer because of the great gift of the stranger the great gift of these chance encounters so i love that term he used the gift right because he had say you know the duty or we have to do it because you know we're the benedictines and we'll get a bad rap if we don't if we close the door on everybody he said the gift of these chance encounters is where our heart should be, even more than in a contemplative state. Even So I think that if these great giants of prayer of the church can break you know, hours and hours of adoration, I think that we, in a little ways, can do this when someone asks for help. Just simple, dry cleaning, a little side project of work. Anything, just a little bit, remember those monks. Remember the monks, right? And then... He, the Holy Father goes into talking about love and this idea of self-love, self-care, it's kind of everywhere it seems these days, right you know self-love, we get the new conditioner, whatever, all about the inward turn. Now what the Holy Father sees as a way forward in human fraternity, how can we do how can we fix all these issues that he's diagnosed? And again, it's a long document, so I'm not even hitting half of them in my time tonight. It's about changing our love from the inward to the outward, right? Love is an outward movement. So in the spiritual life, love is an outward movement to God. We give ourselves, our whole being to God of love. And He returns it in graces we can't understand. And then similarly, when we want to help others, it's an outward movement of love, right? And this movement of self-love and things like that, which at its core is good because, you know, taking care of yourself is good and important. It can get in our way of understanding love as willing the good of the other, as Aquinas says, right? It's the outward movement. And I think, I know a lot of people my age uh, are getting into kind of new age meditation apps and things like that. So they ask me sometimes, people I know, my friends. So what's the difference between, you know, this app and, you know, prayer and things like that? So what I say is, what you're doing is turning everything on the in, right? Is, you know, finding your center. That's very Eastern, very Buddhist. But we as Christians move out. We move out in prayer and actions to love. So that's where our spirituality and our character is. We, you know, we converge with the world just a little bit. But at that moment of, do we go in? Or do we go out? That's where we become authentically Christian. As we change that polarity from the I to the out. And that's where our distinctiveness comes in. And Pope Francis is calling us to be more cognizant of that. And that's a way to help some of these social ills in our own daily lives. And then moving on a little bit in the document. is, he, But still on the theme of love. And I think that this is something we could do here in our own parishes in New Britain. He speaks about the need to be radically welcoming in the church to people with disabilities. Right? He makes this entire paragraph just about how we should love and treat people who come to our doors, or not to our doors, just in society, with disabilities. And I think that here in the church is that we have a great opportunity um, I've seen parishes on both ends of the spectrum in terms of this. I have one parish in the Archdiocese. I know the pastor there. And he went up to you know, families after Mass and thanked them for coming, you know, for their children, maybe a Down syndrome, things like that, which maybe other churches, they weren't as welcome. Or they got the stink eye because maybe it's noise, things like that. But what the pastor did and had some key volunteers to do was thank them and w- welcome them back. And about a year or two went by and all of a sudden more and more of these families started joining this parish because they knew that they would be welcomed and loved here and their kids would be treated like that. So it was a movement of love which then turned into an evangelization opportunity. So I think here in New Britain, you know, any of our three churches we have mass at, if we see, you know, a family, which is oftentimes younger families, um, Down syndrome, things like that, you don't know him, or maybe if you do know him or you've seen him for a couple of years, just say, thanks for coming today. It was nice to see you. And to people who may have felt put off so many times by other people, other groups, church groups, non-church groups, just have that. Thank you for coming. I hope to see you again. That could mean the world to them, and who knows, that could invite more and more families that they know into our community here in New Britain. So then, Pope Francis moves in skipping ahead a little bit, to talking about private property. So this is a little different than, you know, the love we have been talking about, but, you know, he covers a lot of ground. It's encyclical. encyclical. Um, so there could be many, many courses, many, many books about Catholic social teaching and private property. But what Pope Francis is kind of doing is continuing a line of thinking from Pope Pius XI, who in his encyclical while addressing Mel Año, said private property is a secondary right. So we have a right to property. We have a right to private property. But we can never forget that all of our goods, all of our time, all of our talents are secondary to our duty, to the first to the Lord and, and second to each other. So again, private property and Catholic social teaching, massive, massive topic. But I think if there's one thing to remember from this encyclical or just from the entire Francis Papacy when it comes to private property because I know he can be talked about in certain ways in regards to issues like this is just to remember everything came from the Lord everything's going back to the Lord and I think without getting into the weeds of it is that's just a good Christian principle to remember with our time treasure and talents and so then we this is he then moves on to talk about immigration And it's a very long chapter. Again, Catholic teaching on immigration is very complex. More than we could talk about in this time tonight. But he does something that him and St. John Paul II also did a lot. He says, young people are the ones that give me hope in regard to this. Um, Young people are the ones who are guiding us in how we engage other cultures, or in his words, how we gain harmony. And I've always kind of never understood both Pope Francis and St. John Paul II. Why, now why do they always say young people? Because I'm like, you know, we're universal church. We have our baptism, things like that. But I think that what he, the term young person means is, it means, you know, someone's young. You know, I'm 23. I'd probably be considered a young person in Pope Francis's mind. <laughs> but I think in, what they're really, at the heart of it is, he wants to turn this youngness into an adjective, not a noun, right? Is We can all be young at heart. We can all have opportunities to grow in harmony with others. We can all be open to changing relationships, changing the way we love others, changing the way we love the Lord. So he keeps saying, young people, young people. But we're all called to be young and docile in all of our way of Christian living. So I think that's a it's just a turn of phrase we can think about because it might be saying, Pope Francis, you're talking for three pages now about young people, but, you know, I'm in my 60s and I'm in my 70s. What does that have to do with me? It has everything to do with you because we can all be moved every day by the love of God. And then when I also speak on immigration, he says that engaging other cultures, so remember, not neighbors, brothers and sisters, That's that's his... He keeps hitting back at this point. Is there opportunity to grow in harmony with others? right? And I think the Mass can teach us a lot here about what it means to grow in harmony with other people from other cultures because the Mass, source and summit of our Christian life, universal prayer of the church. So that's the greatest teaching ground we have to grow in this harmony. And I just finished a book by a great 20th century theologian called Henry de Lubac, famous uh, theologian, had a lot of influence on Pope Emeritus Benedict, and he talked twofold about the nature of the Eucharist. The Eucharist is an instrument of salvation. You know, our Lord is pretty clear. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, you have life within you. Right? It's by receiving our Lord through our life in the state of grace. In living love, we're looking we're sitting pretty good for our sacrament of salvation. But there's a twofold element, is that it's the sacrament of unity. So Christ the head is coming down to us in his flesh, and we have the opportunity to consume him, and we consume Christ every day in the same way. With all of our everybody around the world consuming Christ. It's the same Christ, no matter if it's this year, ten years from now, if I'm here, if I'm in Gabon, it doesn't matter. It's a sacrament of unity. So when we're invited to grow in harmony with others, look to the mass as the great teacher. And I think a great image of this that we have here in Archdiocese is that at the cathedral, if you've ever been there, I'm sure many of you have, there's a great ceramic mural behind the altar, right? Um, And fun fact, it's actually the largest ceramic mural in the world, we have right here in Hartford. so behind the main altar, I was there a few weeks ago, I noticed what it is, it's Christ in heaven ascended with angels, saints, um, principalities, all adoring him. And again, we're entering in the Mass into this mystical body, into this heavenly worship. So we should be entering that together in unity. And I think that contemplating Christ ascended to heaven with all our brothers and sisters as a type of the mass, is a great way for us to do this here in our local church in Hartford, and something we can all pray about. Right. And then Pope Francis goes into encounter. We are called as Christians to encounter other people on a day-to-day basis. Once again, not as neighbors, but as brothers and sisters, and. He wants these opportunities of encounter, not to bring up relationships or, you know, niceness. He wants solidarity. He wants us to understand and empathize with all of our Christian brothers and sisters and non-Christian brothers and sisters. So solidarity, solidarity. And he says the best way, almost, it's almost like a, a sport, right? If we want to practice encountering other people as brothers and sisters more and more, he recommends first going to the margins of society to build up these skills because he sees it as an opportunity for those who have been cast out as the throwaway culture to finally have that chance of encounter, but then also us to habituate ourselves to learning to encounter through these people who have had so many ruptured relationships and other issues. And we can do that right here in New Britain, right here in the greater Hartford area, right? we have. Tuesdays and Friday Fridays at St. Peter's, we have a mix and mingle. It's called, right? It's not called homeless dinner or homeless breakfast. It's called mix and mingle, because the intent is not just to, you know, we're not just handing out food, right? It's it's a kind of a come on in. We're handing out food, but the real intent is for us, us parishioners of our four parishes, to be able to go sit down. Have a cup of coffee, have a meal with these people, because it's not for any one group, it's for all of us. And I'm sure there's many, many other nonprofits here in New Britain or just even walking at, you know, Stanley Park across the street for these chances of encounter with the least among us or those who have been thrown out. So it doesn't have to be great. Again, you don't have to fly off anywhere. You can do it right here in New Britain to grow in solidarity and love um, for our brothers and sisters. And I did a mission trip this past spring to Denver for an organization called Christ in the City. So they do homeless apostolates. It's similar to how we have focus here and that young, usually college grads, go for a year or two to do ministry. But instead of trying to evangelize on campus, they go every day on the same route in Denver and Philadelphia now to go encounter the least among us. And what I learned there is that when people example end up in drug situations or in homeless situations it's usually out of not it's a, out of a rupture of relationships so say you have i'm sure if your car broke down and you ride to the hospital you probably have 30 40 people who you could call probably right here in this town who would give you a ride so where a lot of these you know people who are on the margins of societies are is because every single one in their phone book for whatever reason that relationship has been ruptured so what Pope Francis is calling us to do is that now that their address book is you know all crossed out, so to speak, is we can go and be that first person to be added to that book. Right? We can encounter them and have solidarity with them as a human being right here in our own town, in our own parish, even here in New Britain. Right. So kind of the final clincher that Pope Francis has in his encyclical is this quote. Religions must never incite war, hateful attitudes, hostility, and extremism, nor must they incite violence or the shedding of blood. So the Holy Father here is speaking to us. right? You might think, how is he speaking to us? I can't command a military invasion. I can't do any of those things. So how am I gonna not incite war or extremism or hateful attitudes. But we must never bring those things in the littlest ways into our own lives. Is that whenever we feel anger or hatred blowing over or feel upset at society at large, you know, there's righteous indignation. That's a real thing. We can experience it every day. But we must never let that boil over to our response and our way we treat our brothers and sisters. So whenever we start to feel those, feel angry or hatred boiling over, let us turn to prayer and love, not words or Facebook posts or anything like that. So that's how Pope Francis is speaking to us, I think, in this way. Because again, we can't command armies or you know reestablish the rules of global trade. But what we can do is pray and love other people. Again, not as neighbors, not as trading partners, not as, you know, fellow New Britonites, but as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, So again, you know, this was a long encyclical. Pope Francis spoke about many, many things in this and he's expanded upon many of those themes like just war, death penalty, things like that in this document and then in other documents as well. But in the time we had tonight, um, this is what we do. So I encourage you, if you have the chance to read Fratelli Tuti, do it. But if it seems a little daunting, maybe, to read the entire encyclical or something like that, I recommend his homilies. So you can find his homilies, his general audiences, all on the Vatican website, all for free. Um, you know, Organized by liturgical season, themes, things like that. So I think that's, a, if you want to get to the heart of Pope Francis, because, I mean, people think a lot about Pope Francis in different ways, I think just go to his writing, and that is where you'll find kind of these consistent themes of love, prayer, and not neighborliness, but fraternity throughout his papacy. Uh, so, um, before we go to little short question answers, we'll finish with a prayer. His second, he had created two prayers himself for this uh, encyclical, so we'll finish with his final one. But in honor of Pope Francis, I'll. We'll do it in Spanish. All right. Padre, Hijo, oh, Espíritu Santo. Señor y Padre de la humanidad, que creesta a todos los seres humanos con la misma dignidad y no en nus- nuestros corazones, un espíritu fraternal. Inspiranos un sueño de reencentero, de diálogo, de justia y de paz, Impulsanos a crear sociedades más sanas y un mundo más digno sin hambre sin pobreza sin violencia sin gresas que nuestro corazón se abra a todos los pueblos y naciones de la tierra para reconocer el bien y la belleza que sembraste en cada uno para estrechar lazos de unidad de proyectos comunes de esperanzas compartidas amén en the, the father son of holy Spirit. Right, so.